All right, we are in week number two of our series, um, and we are in a, a series called, uh, what, what is our series? Yes, Before the Resurrection, Before the Resurrection. So we're going to be kind of uh, going through the details of what took place just before Jesus was crucified and just before uh, he rose again three days after he died. And uh, we're going to unpack that. And, and the whole theme of the message today will be wrapped around the idea of staying laser focused because there is so much noise around us. There is so much noise, so many things that distract us. And uh, I, I want to uh, encourage us to stay laser focused on the most important things. Uh, so uh, I, I recently read about a, a family, um, not a family, a couple that uh, had been married for 50 years. Raise your hand if you've been married for 50 years. The Bettingers have been married for 50 years. And welcome home, by the way. Welcome home. Anyone else married for 50 years? I didn't say feels like 50 years. Uh, well, in the, in this, um, in this read that I was going through, uh, there was the question was, uh, how in the world do you have an awesome marriage? How in the world does that happen? What, what was the secret? And the gentleman said, well, it all started, uh, on our honeymoon. And, uh, what we did is we went to the Grand Canyon and we got, we, we rented donkeys and we went through the Grand Canyon. And, uh, about half, about an hour into the Grand Canyon ride, the, uh, my wife's donkey got wily, is what he said, and just kinda, jerked and, and threw her off the donkey and, and and she just fell and I was like oh my goodness are you okay babe is everything all right she's like I'm fine I'm fine she looked square at the donkey said that's one and she got back on the donkey and everything was going fine they were talking the weather was nice and all of a sudden the donkey I don't know what happened he did it again threw her off again she fell and it's like, oh my goodness, is everything okay? She stood up, looked the donkey square in the eye and said, that's two. She got back on the donkey, kept on riding and um, sure enough, it happened a third time. Uh, the donkey threw her off and uh, she stood up, she dusted herself off, she went into her purse and pulled out a gun and said, that's three. It was later on that night we were at the hotel room and I, I said something smart Alec that she didn't like and, and she looked at me and said, that's one. <laughs> and from there on out, our marriage has been easy sailing right on through. They're right on through. Um, and he had no problem staying focused on what was most important after that. Uh, but I want to unpack a, a few things because when, when you have a relationship with the Lord, there are so many distracting elements that come into play. And so what we're going to do today is, is we're going to unpack three scenes that took place before Jesus uh, was crucified. And uh, each of the three scenes have to do with a young man named Peter. And uh, Peter was one of the disciples. Here's scene number one, Matthew 28, verse 69. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, 
You were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. It's fascinating because just the night before, he was having dinner with Jesus, an event that we call the Last Supper, And he looked Jesus right in the eyes and said, I will be with you until the end. If you die, I'm dying with you. Less than 24 hours later, he's acting like he doesn't even know Jesus. Because he's afraid that if he gets associated with Jesus, that he'll get arrested as well and possibly crucified with Jesus. He doesn't want that to happen. And so uh, I've just been kind of thinking about this passage because how do you go from being Jesus, I will die with you, to acting like you don't even know him? He was clearly being influenced at that moment. There, there are three things that seem to influence all of us. Um, uh, the, the first one is, uh, is input. Whatever is coming in, uh, whatever you read, whatever you look at, whatever you study, uh, whatever you pay attention to, all of your thoughts, um, I mean, every action you have can string back to a thought. But I've got, uh, um, I've, I've got something for you to think about. I was thinking about it this morning on how thoughts invite spirits. The, the thoughts that you entertain invite spirits. You know, there was a, a man named Saul. He was the very first king of Israel. And he started off so well. And then his mind stopped going towards the Lord and it started going towards everything else. And I don't have the time to go chronicle through the list. But his mind started going to everything else and the things of God just became very unimportant to him. And the Bible talks about how a tormenting spirit came upon him. And and all of a sudden he went into the throes of depression. Because the thoughts that you entertain invite spirits. When you entertain, when you're in the car and you're thinking about how you're mad at somebody and you're yelling at them in your head and you're preparing your next argument. Has anyone ever done that? You prepare the argument and you try to set up the next discussion to go in that particular direction because you are ready for it now. Are you, are you with me? All of you guys got your poker face on like, I don't know what you're talking about. But nevertheless, you entertain those thoughts. A spirit of anger will come into your life and begin to torment you. And then what you'll find, I don't know if, it, if you've ever been there before, but uh, you, you'll find yourself in a funk where you, you're trying to shake out of this funk and you just can't do it. Like, I don't want to be, I, I don't even like my own company. Have you ever been there? You want to look at people and like, I know, I know my company stinks because I don't even like being around me. And you're trying to break out of it and, 
And a lot of times you've been entertaining the thought for so long that you're fighting more than just your thoughts now. Now you're fighting the spirit that came with the thoughts. You know, the other thing that, uh, that, that influences us, it's not just input, but it's associations. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says that bad company corrupts good character. Think about that. You can get somebody that is just on fire for the things of God. On fire for the things of God. There's a, a Bible study at Texas A&M University, and uh, it's the largest Bible study in the, in the country. What you have is you have a whole bunch of students that are going to, they're studying to be engineers and in whatever their career field is. But in parallel, not separately, but in parallel, they're pursuing their goal of graduating. They're pursuing their goal to have a career field in whatever it is they imagine. But they attend this Bible study. I forgot the name of it, but it's the largest Bible study in the country. Breakaway, thank you. Um, and, and could you imagine though, a young man or a young lady attending Breakaway and, and they're worshiping and they're studying and they're worshiping and they're studying and then all of a sudden they meet somebody new. They meet a, uh, a girl meets a guy or a guy finds a new group of friends or joins a fraternity and and then all of a sudden, something begins to elbow out God. Because here's the reality. Bad company corrupts good character. Your associations influence you. There's three things that influence you. What you put in, your associations, and then here's number three. Your environment. See, the environment that you're in right now is powerful. I mean, it is powerful. Let me say this. In Psalms chapter 26, verse 8. In Psalms 26, verse 8, the psalmist says this, that he delights to come to the house of the Lord. Watch this. Where his presence dwells. Now, somebody may say, God is everywhere. I could go to the moon. God is everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, 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 no. You see, there's a difference between God's omnipresence, which means he's everywhere. And God's manifest presence. The manifest presence is God saying, I am everywhere. But there are certain places on this earth where I am going to meet with my people. And that's why when you come into a house like this, you can't help but to admit. there's It's, got, it's just like any other room that you're in all week long. It's got four walls. It's got lights, air conditioning. You're in a thousand rooms with four walls, lights, and air conditioning. But what is there different about this room? The presence of God makes himself known in the sanctuary. That's why it's so important to be here. This environment influences you. But when you step out of this environment, you got to be very selective about the environments that you go to. There's certain career fields that entertain clients. And when they entertain clients, they'll take them to places that um, if their wife knew about it, she would go berserko. And there's certain environments that in contrast begins to influence you. It's, it's what you put in, number one. Number two is the uh, associations. And number three is the environments. And this is where Peter found himself. He found himself in this first scene that we're unpacking. 
he, he found himself listening to other conversations. The night before he was with Jesus and the disciples, he found himself with a different group of friends. You know what's very interesting? It's a lot of times people who attend church have their church friends and then they have their other friends and they don't know each other. And so when I say, hey, invite a friend to church, you're like, no, they know the other me. I got two me's. Are you with me? Feels a little awkward, so I'm going to just go on to the second scene. Here we go. Scene number two, Matthew 26, verse 73. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. Watch this. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Your Galilean accent. The way you talk, it doesn't sound right. Here's the thing. Your anointing, number one, if you're taking notes, announces you. You see, if, you, if you're good at something, you'll tell people about it. If you're great at something, they'll tell you about it. See, your anointing announces you. Your gifting makes room for you. The, the, the world may be in a rat race. You don't need to be in the rat race. You just concentrate on your skills, your talents, your ability. Keep your eyes focused on God and your gift will make room for you. Let other people struggle and strive. Your anointing makes room for you. But here's the other thing. Your anointing exposes you. See, here Peter is around these people and he starts talking and they're like, what? You know, it's, it's, it, you know how Selma Hayek talks? Raise your hand if you know Selma Hayek. Um, some of you guys, are, I don't think she's in the Bible. Just work with me. When Selma Hayek talks, it's like, you're not from Houston, are you? Right? You're not from Houston. You're not from Louisiana. I don't know where you're from, but you're not from Louisiana. And what is it? You can tell clearly she's not from these parts. You stick out like a sore thumb. Me and my wife have been to Cancun a couple times. All I got to do is say, hola. And they're like, this white dude here. <laughs> they can tell I'm saying the same word they're saying. It just doesn't sound right. Can I just tell you that when you are in an environment, when you are a Christ follower, but you are not in a Christ following environment, you may try to blend in, but you just don't sound right. Don't take this personal, but when you cuss, you don't cuss very good. It, it, it doesn't sound right. Have you ever met somebody that when they cuss, it's like, <laughs> like you don't want to admit it, but there's some people who cuss and it's funny. Like I used to play golf with somebody and, and when they cussed, I, I would be on the ground laughing. I couldn't take it. I was like, dude, you got to stop cussing. You're cracking me up. I, I know I shouldn't be laughing, but he just, he, he had an accent and it didn't sound weird. And, and he, 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 anyway. But then there's other people that when they cuss, it's like, ah, oh, like, don't do that anymore. Let me just say that when you've got the call of God on your life, when there's an anointing on your life, 
You can't blend in. Something is exposed. It, it, people can tell. People can tell. Now watch this. Especially people that have accepted the assignment, the Great Commission. That's important to them. Those people right there. There's something. They get exposed that fast when they're in non-Christian environments. Uh, now, now watch this. This is very important. There's a difference between accepting salvation and accepting the Great Commission. Those are two totally different things. Accepting the free gift of salvation is saying, God, I know I'm going to spend eternity somewhere. And I want you to know that I believe you died for me on the cross and, and you are my Lord. At that moment, you have accepted the free gift of salvation. You didn't do anything to earn it. It's a gift just for believing in him. You're in heaven. But the Great Commission, now that's something completely different. The Great Commission is when Jesus stood up and said, I want you to go into the world as my disciples and find other people and, and encourage them to pursue me as well. Now that's something different. Because you can be saved, accept salvation, but hear the Great Commission and go, nah, not for me. You're still going to heaven. You just didn't, the, the Great Commission is not something that you want to invest your life into. The Great Commission is, is, is not a complicated thing. It's a very simple thing. The Great Commission is, is when you, it's important to you and, and you look for opportunities to share your faith. You look for opportunities to invite someone to church. You look for opportunities that if you see hurt in someone's eyes, you don't just ignore it and move on. You want to invite them to a healer. You want to invite them to meet your anchor. You want to invite them to that. You're looking for that. The, the, the easiest vehicle is in life groups because you're sitting there and you're sharing and you're helping someone. And this is why I say all the time, look, Easter is coming up. It's the easiest time of the whole year to get somebody to come to church. Everybody knows that you have to go to church on Easter. So if you just ask them, they'll say yes. If they say no, go, it's Easter. And I, I'm challenging you. To invite somebody. But when you have accepted the great commission. The Lord looks at you. And he says this. If you are going to accept the great commission. If this is something that is important to you. You are not going to be able to do it by yourself. You are going to need power. Because you can't do it by yourself. So this is when he looked at 120 disciples. And he said. Uh, he had 5,000 followers. I mean, he had a huge fish fry at a church event one time. Just with two fish and five loaves. He had 5,000 at least that followed him. But there was 120 that he could tell the Great Commission was going to be of great importance. And he said, if this is going to be important to you, you're not going to be able to do it on your own. You are going to need some power. So go to Jerusalem and wait for me. 
And I will, and you, the Bible says this, and you will be endowed with power. Now, there were other people that they didn't, that wasn't something that was desirable for them, and they're going to be in heaven. But they were in the upper room, and the Bible says that they were endowed with power, gifts, anointings, abilities, to where you can be effective. And so often people back up and they're like, I would like to have the gifts and I would like to have the anointing. I want to be endowed with power. But the Great Commission is not of great importance to you. So why would he give you that? It's like me giving the keys to a car to somebody who has no intention on ever driving. Why would I give you a car? But if you accept that that invitation, then he gives you the power to be able to flow through it. Um, let me share this with you. The, the next uh, scene is in Matthew chapter 26, verse 74. Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny you will deny three times that you even knew me. And he went away and wept bitterly. It was almost as if the rooster was an alarm. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like Peter was taking these steps away from being a disciple. He was taking these steps away and the first step, you know, he just did it. And the second step, he just kept on walking away. The third step, and all of a sudden there's this alarm and it kind of woke him up. He kind of came to his senses. It's just like this alarm just, it's like, it's like it came back to his senses. The Bible says that the prodigal son that ran away from his father, the Bible says that he came to his senses. Like, what am I doing? And he came home to the father. It's almost like the, the rooster is like, he came to his senses. And, and, and that rooster still sounds, the alarm still sounds, the cock still crows today. You'll notice it. You, you take a step away, you begin to build an attitude, you start um, complaining and you start drifting away from the things of God and the things of God is not important. The Lord will cause a rooster to crow. It, it, somebody will walk up to you and say something and, and, and it's like, I gotta get back in church. I, I gotta get, I gotta get back. I gotta get, you'll feel it. It's like he starts pulling you. See, the Lord uh, won't let you stray too far. You're his. You're his. He's going to keep you close. He won't let you stray. Now, if you get, make up your mind, I'm straying. I'm, I, I, this is not for me. This is not for me. Um, the Bible talks about people like that. And it says that their conscience will be seared with a hot iron. Which means there, if you're, if you have your mind made up with that amount of determination you'll no longer feel the pull on your conscience what used to make you feel bad doesn't make you feel bad anymore the bible talks about having your your faith shipwrecked you used to have faith and and now you think it's a joke 
What, what happened? You just ignored the rooster crowing. You just ignored the tug on your heart. You just ignored all those things. Well, let me just say this morning, I'm sounding the alarm to the best of my ability because the Lord, He misses you. It just like with Peter. Peter messed up so bad. And the only thing that Jesus wanted to know is, do you still love me? That's all the Lord wants to know is, do you still? He, the Bible says that he knows your frame. He knows what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. And he knows that you are just not capable of being as perfect as you wish you were. He, the Bible says that he, he pities us because he knows that we are made from dust. So it's not a standard that disappoints him. It's, do you still love him? I, I was, um, when I was uh, about 20, 21 years old, I was in Bible college and I was upset with the Lord because uh, there was a, a prayer request. I don't even remember what it is, what it was anymore, but there was a prayer request that really meant a lot to me and, and, um, and the situation didn't go the way I, I had prayed for it to go. And so I was disappointed with the Lord. And so I was upset and mad and uh, my faith was on its way to being shipwrecked while I was in Bible college. And um, a buddy of mine was getting married and I was in his wedding and the rehearsal was going on and I was sitting in the back uh, of the of the sanctuary during the rehearsal. And it had been several months that I had just kind of, for lack of a better word, froze God out. I'm just not talking to him, not paying attention to him. And I just felt the Spirit of God, not out loud, just right down in here. I felt the Lord say, I miss you. And I just started crying. Because it just reminded me that the Lord is not looking at me saying three months, four months, because you didn't get what you want. No, 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 no. He doesn't have a, an anger inside of his heart towards his children, the only thing he wants to know is, do you still love me? And so today we've talked about things that can distract us and get us off track. But still at the end of the day, the only thing that is super important is do you still love him? Is he still your first love? Because if he isn't, we're going to take a moment to return back to our first love. Would you stand your feet for me, please? Would everyone here just bow your head and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. The most important question anyone will ever ask you is if your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, are you 100% sure? you know where you'd spend eternity. If the answer is no, you do not walk out these doors without getting your life right. I don't want anyone looking around, not even our staff or worship team. If you say, Frankie, my life is not right with the Lord, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Nobody is looking around. This is just between you and God. I see hands going up right now. 
Can all of us, as a sign of surrender, just raise both hands right where we are? Let's, let's, let's make it clear to the Lord that we love him. Let's say these simple words, but yet very powerful. Dear Jesus, come on, celebration, let me hear you. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I need your mercy, and I need your grace. My life, say it, my life is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you keep your hands up and your eyes closed? I want to pray a blessing over your life. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine down upon you. May his countenance be lifted up on you and deliver you. May the grace and peace of God be with you all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, amen. There's no official dismissal. You can leave whenever you get ready. But would you just take 60 seconds and whisper to the Lord, is there anything, God, that you're trying to speak to my heart today? Be blessed in the name of the Lord.